Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Lexi Mills, SEO consultant specialising in PR and integrated campaigns, amongst other things. How are you doing, Lexi? I'm very well, thank you. And you're in Berlin at the moment, aren't you? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Um, now, that sort of list of things that you do is only a sort of uh, primer. You actually do loads more, don't you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, um, I've been working in online communications for several years. I actually began in the music industry uh, by slipping pennies into the door of radio stations so that they would get jammed open and I could get some of my music events on the radio, which is initially how I began um, in marketing. Shortly thereafter, I started experimenting a little bit with online marketing. After walking into Fatboy Slim's uh, office, I found out that there was a girl who only did Facebook for a living, which I just thought was brilliant. Mm. And I hung around until I think I was asked to leave, watching what she was doing. And that's really the very beginning of me working in online marketing. So I went home and started promoting my events through Facebook, Twitter, and learning a little bit about SEO and what sort of content I could create to essentially get our events promoted and covered in major media publications. But since then, I've been doing a little bit of work in advocating for women in technology across the world. So women working in PR, women working in SEO, tech fields, um, and in third world countries because they have some very great struggles that really make the ones of the Western world pale in significance. Mm. And uh, yes, we can get into my rant as well about not, not enough women being in development, but we'll save that till later. Um, so the whole sort of overarching topic, if you like, of this chat today is sort of integration in digital communications, digital marketing. Where would you say are the, um, the, the greatest opportunities in integrated communications, would you say? So when you take a budget and you split it between your various silos, what I find you most often end up doing is duplicating a section of work, which tends to be the ideation, which is one of the most stressful areas. And what you end up doing is essentially diluting the impact of what you can have. So I often think of the different communication channels as dominoes. And you can choose to line them up and flick one and have them all fall in line and get that force all 
going in one direction, or you can spread it out. And to me, it makes very little sense to not take every opportunity that comes your way when you're doing online marketing, because it's an incredibly competitive space, especially for smaller brands. So I think if you can get your internal teams working together and all pointing in the same direction, that probably is the greatest opportunity for success across every channel. Now, with your specialization, which is sort of like sort of a, an integrated approach, are there any specific types of clients that you're tending to work with or is it, fairly, is it a fairly sort of broad spectrum of clients? So it does span a lot. I tend to work a lot in technology, primarily because the language around new technology is one of the biggest challenges. So if you go to a traditional marketing agency, you actually need somebody to spend a lot of time coming up with the language to describe your new product. For example, a little while ago, no one knew what Internet of Things was. So if you had an Internet of Things product, you would have to describe it using terms that people were familiar with and that there was initially search volume for and create essentially a progression path for how you talked about your product. So I really like this. I get a real kick out of it, working out what language people are using and how quickly we can get new language adopted and uh, applied and then generate search volume for it. Now, PR and SEO they're sort of starting to merge a bit do you think one industry is going to swallow the other do they reckon they're just going to sort of or just merge into one sort of blob so this is a really interesting subject because you can keep them separate but it doesn't make sense to since relevancy and big links became really important it makes perfect sense to have the two working together however getting PRs to be excited and interested in what SEO can offer them, I found more challenging than I would have anticipated. But there are some great opportunities. You know, if a client comes to you and says they want PR, usually, same with internet marketing, you would turn around and say, why? And when you keep asking that question, why, you work out, oh, they're going for investment. Right, okay, so they probably need some big numbers. So you want to do a mixture of what's going to drive traffic, but what's going to drive brand awareness. And looking at search traffic, looking at backlinks to the website, what's driving conversions, all of that can really help tailor a PR campaign to be significantly more impactful. Whereas before, you were essentially using what would be historical knowledge, your gut feel that you've built out over years of working in the industry. Mm. So I think if you take SEO skills and apply it to PR, you can essentially almost get all the benefits of three, four years worth of PR experience and be that much more effective. However, on the SEO side, we have outreach practices which are slightly different to how PRs work. For example, a lot of the agencies I do training with these days haven't been using the telephone as much, whereas I pretty much call everyone before I send an email and I find I get at least a 50% to 70% uptake Mm. in coverage and links. So yes, there is a battle going on, I think the people who will win will be those who have that get up and go, a little bit of bravery, because picking up the phone and calling a journalist is always going to be frightening. Putting a penny in the door of a radio station in order to get in to get your product or whatever it may be covered, it it takes a certain mentality. So I'm not sure the argument is about which industry will win, but it's more about which personality type is not going to win now, but also in the future. And that really is the defining factor. Can we just touch on uh, newswires? And I know that newswires can be a controversial topic, especially when it comes to sort of SEO and PR. 
Do you use them? And if, if you do use them, which ones and why? So news wires have definitely be controver been controversial. Over the last few years, I've seen them being used for many different reasons. I've seen people working in really hard link building spheres use news wires to build lots of small links. This was about five, six years ago. And I remember taking all the news wires and looking at them and working out which news wires syndicated the content to sites that were A, relevant, and B, did followed links. Now, that initially informed which news wires I'd use for link building, but that was really a long time ago, and it's just not a safe way of link building, and it's not going to get you those big links that really change rankings. These days, I use news wires to disseminate news, to get it to journalists, so that journalists will write real stories and give you real links from big media sites, and that's where I think news wires have a value, because when you've got something that's really timely, even if you've got a team of 20 calling it in, a newswire is going to get it there that much faster and you know it's not getting caught in any specific email filters because it's going straight through to a journalist's inbox. However, there are some newswires that masquerade as a wire, but really they work a lot more like a mass emailing system. And those are the ones I'd stay clear of. Mm. I tend to work a lot with PR Newswire because they have a live feed that goes straight into the news desks of all the most important publishing houses. But if you're really, really nervous about the syndicated uh, press releases that come up on different websites, then you'll want to speak very closely to your account manager at PR Newswire or Business Wire about which wires have the least visibility online but the greatest impacts in terms of delivering the news to the right news desks. So it's about building that relationship with your account manager. And honestly, I've spent a little bit of time grilling my account managers and they all know me for it. I think they still like me, but I do check their SEO knowledge fairly regularly to make sure that they know what they're telling me is correct as well as me assessing what they're telling me and determining how safe I think that is. But from getting news coverage, I still support them, but it's not something I do on every campaign. It really is a matter of how timely it is. Now, on the subject of journalists and sort of newspapers and publishers in general, would you say they're now competitors to brands and businesses doing content marketing or are they sort of still classified as prospects in your mind? They're both. And, you know, it's interesting. Publishers are competing with brands as well. You look at someone like Red Bull, who has their own publishing house now, or even Apple. You know, Apple and a lot of the games company release their news first on their sites, and then journalists get it second. So as much as we used to be trying to get journalists to cover our content, journalists are trying to build that relationship with us so that we give them a heads up on some of our content when it's coming out as well. Mm. So this... This whole ground moving beneath the feet of content marketers as every algorithm update happens, actually that's very true for publishers as well. So I feel like we're all sitting in the same boat and really we need to be finding ways to work effectively together. And that comes from having open, honest conversations and saying, hey, what is it you need right now? What's performing best for you? Oh, maybe my project I could tweak so it helps you more and then they'll help you more. So it becomes a two-way relationship. You're looking for that win-win scenario. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So what advice would you give to a content marketer looking to progress their knowledge in PR? Honestly, and this sounds really, really obvious, but read publications. And it's, it's one of those things you spend a lot of time working with your clients, uh, doing ideation, project managing. But ultimately, if you want to know what publishers want, read their publications. Look at the top trending articles on their website. Look at how the articles are formed. You know, what is their anatomy? Are you seeing an increase in video content? Or are you finding that the articles that have social media content to help promote them are performing best? For example, my last campaign, we created a set of GIFs to go alongside the campaign mm. so that when we gave an article to a journalist to write up, we could give them some GIFs that that they could use on their social media platforms that related to the product we were promoting so that they pushed each other forward. Yeah. I think everyone working in content marketing should be scheduling two to three hours a week just to read publications. And you don't have to read the whole thing. Even if you take you know, three, four publications and you flick through and you just read the headlines and you get a visual of what these articles look like, it will give you a subliminal set of information that when you're building out a campaign, you'll say, hey, I don't think this, this piece of content gives publishers enough to write about. I just can't see this filling four to 600 words in an article. Therefore, we either need to give them more or we need to put it together with an existing story. And that's the sort of thing you'll just pick up from scan reading publications. But it really is one of the most important things I'd encourage anyone to do. And I'm not saying content marketers are the only people who are guilty of not reading enough publications. I see it a lot in PR agencies as well. You get so focused on going out and meeting journalists and understanding the product and practicing demoing it that sometimes you do forget to read your key publications for a couple of weeks. How do you think SEOs and content creators actually can work better with publications? So I think it is a lot about making sure that you make things easy. You know, a lot of publications now are global. So yes, if you're in Britain and you promote something to a British journalist, it might very well be that journalist that writes it up, or they might shoot it over to their counterpart in San Francisco when they finish work at the end of the day, saying, hey, I didn't have time to write this up, it's a good story. Now, if you're asleep 
and you haven't given the journalist everything they need to write that article, it might just fall off the pile. So I'm a massive believer in having a beautiful Dropbox or a great page on your website that gives the journalist absolutely everything they need to write a story. That means a write-up of an interview so they've got some great quotes that they can pull out, some good images, video content if you can get it, some lovely stats and making sure it's all downloadable in 372 DPI so that if this publication wants to put it in print, they don't have to ring you back to ask you for a 300 DPI image. Mm. It's about preparation and just going the extra mile real, isn't it? Yeah, making things easy. Um, I did some calculations a few weeks ago. I went onto a website called um, Who Pays Writers? And I just looked at what freelance writers were saying they were being paid. So this website essentially journalists submit what they got paid for articles. So it's not 100% accurate, but it does give you a ballpark figure. And I did a little bit of math on it, and I was working it out. I was like, okay, if it takes a journalist an hour to write an article, and they're being paid around 40 pence a word, then they're probably getting a couple hundred quid an article. If it takes them a day, then they're getting a couple hundred quid a day. Now, if you take off accounting fees, fees for your laptop and you start to add it up you can sort of knock 50% off that fee and you're like oh they're getting 100 quid an article Mm. so if you make it easy for them to write six articles a day you're making it easy for them to make six times the amount of money so I think it's really important to keep that in mind when you're working with publishers and they're going to love you aren't you for that (laughs) (laughs) well money always talks right (laughs) it does now other industries um, like advertising and PR they've got I think they've established codes of conduct and sort of regulatory boards. Do you think this is something uh, the SOE, uh, sorry, SEO industry needs and what are the sort of barriers to implementing this? So I do think that the SEO industry is old enough to start thinking about it. There are some greater challenges to putting this in place for the SEO industry than there were, in my view, from the PR and the advertising industry, albeit that most industries are continuously evolving. SEO is doing so at an unprecedented rate, especially with the introduction of machine learning into the algorithms. So a code of conduct that's relevant now may not be relevant in a few hours or may not be relevant to the nature of how algorithms are working in different geographic locations. So we need to start thinking about how we would structure a code of conduct as opposed to what should be in it, I think, is a first step. But yes, I think there is a a great opportunity for us to start saying, what do we think is moral? Because SEOs were a bit like developers. We were all stuck in the little cupboard at the back of the office and no one really spoke to us for many years. Whereas now, with big links, that means big visibility. We are shaping what people see on the internet. And to a very large degree, what we see on the internet is a it is how many people determine what is real, their reality. So as professionals, I think we need to have some kind of ethics or at least an agreed approach to how we shape that reality. Mm. Do you feel that the industry is still male-dominated, Lexi? And Do you think there are barriers for females entering the field? So this is an interesting one because... You're kind of asking, well, what is the SEO industry? Because that is the first question here. Mm. So the PR industry is primarily female-dominated, but you could argue that PR is just as much as a part of the SEO industry as technical SEO is. So, yes, if you're looking at what is traditionally SEO, it probably does lilt towards male. But I think that's changing at such a great pace. And because we're merging with all these different fields, if you look at it from a cumulative perspective of all the different industries that influence search, 
I think it's fairly well balanced. I think there are barriers to every type of person in every industry, but there are also opportunities. So it's about how you leverage those opportunities. So as women, yes, sometimes I think you probably do have to be a little bit sharper. You do have to fight a little bit harder. Mm. But learning to fight is not a bad skill. And the sooner you learn to fight and the sooner you learn to identify barriers and develop a skill to overcome those, well, that's a skill that's going to keep on giving for forever and ever. And you could argue that being short in a meeting scenario is a challenge. I'm actually um, very petite. And sometimes I see that when a really tall person gets up, there's a natural gravitas to them. Mm. But having to learn to have gravitas while being a petite woman well, that was a great skill to have. It wasn't an easy one to learn, and it was something that, yeah, some of my six-foot male counterparts didn't have to learn. But I don't think it was a disadvantage mm. for me to have to learn it in order to progress in my career or even with my life objectives. Uh, love, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about your book, but just before we talk about your book, uh, I know that you're, you've been working on machine learning algorithms, haven't you? What's your opinion of machine learning algorithms in search? I think they present great opportunity, but also great threat. When something happens at speed, there is always a greater danger. So I, I'm often reminded of the speed awareness when driving campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference what happens when somebody is hit um, by a slow versus a fast moving car. And when something's moving slower, you have opportunity to see what's coming and make adjustments. With machine learning coming into the algorithms, we're going to see certain things happening so fast that we're not going to be able to stop them. And I do have some concerns about how the Internet is structured right now. I don't think that we should allow search interest in Pokemon to dominate that of Syria. But because of the way algorithms work, we are perpetuating a part of human nature, which is to click on things that give us pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that we should be hiding or allowing things that give us pleasure to completely submerge things that we should be aware of, even if they are slightly uncomfortable. And the introduction of machine learning, I think, is going to accelerate the things like Pokemon um, completely drowning out important global issues and how we choose to deal with that, how we choose to create a system where not just the algorithms, but the way humans interact with them allows for new ideas to enter our world and shatter our filter bubbles. That's going to be a real challenge that I think search marketeers and publishers really need to consider going forward because we all need to make money. We're businesses. People need to stay afloat. But we shouldn't be doing that at the risk of not allowing important issues to have a voice. Yeah. So the concern there is that these sort of algorithms or sort of have a sort of positive feedback loop and sort of magnify strangenesses in the way that we (laughs) or sort of try to think of a good word, inconsistencies, anomalies in the way that we should be thinking and searching for things. Yes. So if you look at Facebook, If you tend to follow a particular political party, you will see more content to do with them. Mm. Whereas, actually, it would be healthy if there was a way for every now and again for ideas that were completely opposite to your own to pop up so that you know that they exist. Because with customized search, both in social media and in internet search, what we're essentially doing is locking ourselves into these bubbles of ideas and values. Mm. And that allows for accelerated knowledge and integration in certain fields, which is awesome and really exciting but we shouldn't be ignorant 
of what is outside our bubbles. Now, tell us about this book that you're writing. Ah, well, I'm a contributor to it. It's called The Internet of Women, and it's um, a collection of essays from women working in technology around the world, uh, talking about the great work they're doing. And some of these women are truly ext extraordinary. I've, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting a few of them. Some of them I just know of through looking at their work online. For example, there are some women in this book who are working in technology in parts of the world where men won't even meet with them to have business meetings in public, really? but they will do business meetings with them behind closed doors. And these women have been offered opportunities to work and study abroad and have chosen to stay in their home countries to advance their fields and to work as a female in what is an oppressive scenario. Uh, I think that's just truly phenomenal. Um, my contribution was actually looking at unconscious bias because I think that's something that we need to be a little bit more forgiving of. You know, sometimes you walk into a room and I don't expect people to think that I'm an SEO expert um, all the time. If somebody presumes when I walk into the room that I am the person there that they must, um, that they should be ordering coffees of, well, statistically, they are probably right because most search experts at a high level are male. So mm -hmm. they're they are being accurate. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit aggressive about equality when really we need to have a little bit of a giggle about it and tease them and say, I'm actually the search expert, but I've done the best I could with my tea making. You know, we, um, unconscious bias is very different to conscious bias. And I think there's a lot of focus in the world about adjusting the perspectives of people who are dogmatic about gender inequality whereas actually if we can help make people aware that they're being biased and they weren't aware of it we're going to convert them to being female advocates in fields of technology far quicker than people who have decided that they really don't believe in that Lexi Mills thank you so much tell us how or tell our listeners um, how they can find out more about you and more about the book so the book goes on sale next week. You'll be able to search for it if you search the Internet of Women. It's coming out under River Publishing. Mm -hmm. And the subtitle for the book is called Accelerating Cultural Change. And people can get in touch with me either via Twitter, which is at Lexi Mills, my name, mm -hmm. or alternatively through email, LexiMills.uk at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. The show notes are all in the usual place, sitevisibility.com forward slash podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you fancy writing a review, please do so, because it helps us to grow the audience and we can get to more people. Uh, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm Dr. Pod, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, we are looking to answer some more questions from the audience. So if you want to send an email with a question in, it's podcast at sitevisibility.com or you can use the magic telephone 9 plus 441273 Well, that's all from me, Andy, and it's all from Lexi. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. <laughs>